Welcome to Light the Fight. I am David Kozlowski. And I'm Heidi Swap. And we're here to solve all of your relationship issues with your family members. And if the stuff we suggest does not work, it's Heidi's fault. <laughs> no, I'm not the one. It's this. It's on you. Aren't you the licensed mental health? Profession? No, no well, licenses. I've got. Me. I'm the licensed freaker out. Remember? Oh, that's. I right. know. I know. But I. But I am evolving so quickly that it starts to seem like I know what I'm talking about sometimes. I love your post because I'm like. I think she's actually meaning what she posts. I think she's learning, learning from it. <laughs> well, I don't think it was like a repost, like when you come up with those cool things. Like, <laughs> I was listening to David, and for some reason, it actually makes sense this time that I'm listening to him. <laughs> well, I do admit every time when I go out or speak or talk to anybody, I give you all the cred. Well, I don't you. even, I don't even steal your material. Well, it, I mean, <laughs> the way I look at it, it's not my material. I just connected a couple dots, and then I share it with people because I think it's. It's information out there. Yeah, and you're right. It does seem like good information circulates, and it's kind of about when you're ready to hear it, really. Um, but it it is interesting. Um, this week, you know, last week I talked about a, a speaking experience that I had, and I had another speaking experience this week, and I realized how much the podcast is helping me articulate the thoughts that are coming in my head. Um, we've talked before here on the podcast about just getting a vocabulary. And I think that you as listeners also can gain the vocabulary and hopefully help your kids gain the vocabulary because one thing that I realized is that there is a vocab, you know, there is a vocabulary around mental health and relationship building that the more you talk about it, the easier it is to talk about because you actually have the words, you know, and I think that that's helped me express myself. Um, and and help me get my feelings out because I'm starting to get better about just being able to articulate these feelings. Well, it's helpful to have options, different types of words. Like if someone's listening to our podcast, they may hear something that someone else talked about that was very similar. We just might be saying it a different way. Yeah. And one thing, and I, I as as you know, a therapist. I see a lot of people get caught up in. So, for example, someone will write a book. Someone will be an influential person and then everybody starts to talk like that person the problem with that at first it's good because it's new and it's fresh but then a couple years later when everybody starts talking using those same words there's something just disingenuous it sounds like they're copying and pasting right and you don't really feel it as much sometimes we need to shake things up and say things um just in a different way just in a different way and Mm -hmm. i think our own minds need to hear that it's like how many times you get on social media and you'll see a post and it's a really inspirational statement. And then a couple months later, you kind of hear the same thing and you hear a lot of the same words. And again, as a therapist, I try so hard to avoid the recycled words because they just don't really seem to penetrate down into our thoughts, our feelings, emotions, if we've heard them. It's almost like if you hear your parent say the same thing in a discipline towards you all the time, you start to you start tune to, it out. You start to tune <laughs> it out. I, I think that can the same thing can happen. And granted, I, I am a therapist, but I do talk to a lot of people who do not want to be therapized. And you know, a lot of my friends, they're not guys that if I talk like a therapist to my friends, they wouldn't be my friend. Right. A lot of them have gone to the therapy with their wives and 
they don't want to be talked to as if someone is scripting a book at them, but they do need the information. It just needs to be packaged a little bit differently. So hopefully what we're doing is um, helping you guys just find different words to express your thoughts and feelings to catch people off guard, to make them think about it differently, and also help you to kind of see it a little bit differently. Yourself. And I also think that as you take it on board and as it kind of comes into into your life and becomes part of you, it gets a lot easier to talk about because you let it start to mold you. And that's definitely... I got a really big compliment from my daughter just this just a couple of days ago. And she said, you know, Mom, it's kind of amazing, you know, when I'm around some of my other friends' parents or listening to my friends talk about how their parents, their relationship is with their parents. And she said, I should really want to thank you for treating me with with respect and not trying to be in anyway she said you are a really different mom than you were a couple of years ago and um i i appreciated her noticing and and obviously it hasn't been easy and it hasn't been without trips and falls along the way um, but she can definitely tell that I'm trying. Well, for you, Heidi, and for all the moms and dads out there or just people that have um, close loved ones in their families that they're trying to make the relationship even better, you know, thanks for all your hard work you're doing because it is hard work to try to find new words and new conversations to have that's going to be easier for other people to understand. If we recycle the same words over and over again, it's like we, there's an album, there's a song that we really like, and we listen to it over and over again. Not everybody else may want to listen to it over and over again. They may want to hear a different song. They may want to hear um, a, a different band play. And so we got to be thoughtful and, and take into consideration that just because we're okay with the word, because we're okay with a phrase, and we like to use it every single day, and we're constantly trying to share those words with other people doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the best words for them to connect with us. So thanks to everybody out there working hard to um, just find new ways to, as Heidi likes to do, um, find new ways to make things beautiful. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, we're going to we're gonna finally address a topic that... No, we're not. Oh, we're not? Not yet. we got to say something else. There's something else we're supposed to say in the podcast today. We need everyone's help with something. So we had an announcement last week that we're going to be starting a teen podcast. And Man, the response to that we was... Got, we got really good response. So, <laughs> um, uh, so, so we're excited about that. And by the way, that's in, in the workings right now as we speak. But we'll, we have another announcement today. And I'm going to make the announcement because I don't think... Are you courageous to say it quite yet? So Heidi tried to bail out better. on this I think this it'd be morning. better. She was like, well, are you sure, David, we should do it? Shouldn't we wait longer? <laughs> so what the announcement is, is in August, we don't have a date um, set yet. The location will be here in the Salt Lake County area. Um, if you're familiar with the area, it's probably going to be around Sandy or, you know, um, uh, Thanksgiving Point area. Um, we're going to be holding sometime in middle of August our first Light the Fight uh seminar slash live get together and um like i said the details workshop yeah it's workshop, a workshop, yeah. Type workshop thing. seminar get together 
And uh, we're going to give you guys the opportunity to influence us about what type of workshop you'd like to have. So please send in your DMs, email us. What are the types of things that you would want to hear in a live workshop with Heidi and I? Um, we have lots of ideas. Uh, one of the ideas that I thought about was uh, picking your own podcast. So from the podcast that you've listened to, I know a lot of people would like us to go deeper on certain subjects because one subject is going to be more relevant to you in your life than another subject. And so what, what we want to do is we really need your input because even though we have an outline, well, for example, being a mental health professional, I have to go to seminars and workshops to get continuing education credits. And I've never been asked what I want to learn at a workshop until after the workshop is done. <laughs> I don't know if it's even worth my time to try to give them information because I think they kind of have their own um, model, but I'm not fans of the people I'm going to the workshop. I have to get units. So I try to look at whatever their flyer says and go, oh, this is moderately interesting to me or I'd like to learn more about this. And so then I go there and I'll be honest with you, majority of the time I get a little bit out of it, but I'm really doing it just for the credits. If you guys are going to come to Utah, if you're going to take time away from your personal lives, we want to make sure that we're hitting the things on the head that you want us to address. So please message us any sort of ideas or topics or information you would like us to cover. We're going to consider all those things in our seminar. And um, yeah, we, it would just be really helpful for us to know what are the things that would be most important to you. I, I hear from so many of you about different things in regard to this already. So some of you are already thinking this and already requesting, already asking about this. Um, and so I would, we would love to know. And um, as we kind of start at ground zero, constructing something that will really be of useful resource to you um, and to really get in, get in deeper in real life. So anyway, yeah, it kind of stresses me out. Like it's not, scrapbook classes so um, i keep saying to well, well david so okay so we're gonna do a project like does everybody get a kit <laughs> i don't know how to do this well so I, it's I, gonna be new for me just so you guys all know if it sucks and we fail the last couple hours we'll just have heidi make stuff <laughs> and teach you how to make stuff I'm just gonna so at least you're getting some, something out i'm of just it. gonna have some scrapbook kits <laughs> in my in my trunk so if if david bombs then i'll bring in all my <laughs> scrapbook stuff <laughs> I can assure oh, you, I'm just I can assure you that if you do take the time, it, it, it's going to be worth your time. Yeah, it'll be okay. amazing. Yeah. So just want to let you guys know that, but we're expecting, asking, but also expecting your input. So please, as always, instant message us, direct message us, email us, um, send pigeons, <laughs> uh, smoke signals, whatever you got to do to get the information to us. And we're going to add it in a queue and we will be announcing the time and date in a couple weeks. We're, we're just, like I said, we're just gathering everything together. So, uh, we, we look forward to hearing from you guys. Yeah. That'd, that'd be great. Okay. So now, so can now, we can get now back. can I talk about what we're going to talk about? <laughs> you may speak. Now. Um, okay. So if you, uh, have been, a listener, you have heard us kind of allude to this topic. In fact, many of you in the DMs have kind of hinted or maybe or complained. maybe poked us Why a little. Why does David keep on like, saying that but not ex expand? You like I really would like to hear about this. Stop teasing. 
but that's what I do. Like, I, I got to keep on people want a little bit back. more. Keep, keep on coming, coming a little back. more. Can't give them everything at once. So this is a very interesting topic. And I'm not even, I don't even want to say much to lead into it, except for that when. Um, Are you going to cry? No, okay. not right now. <laughs> Maybe in a minute. Um, when you taught us about this light bulbs for me. Um, and in fact, you taught my daughter and oh, yeah. my son before yep. you actually taught my husband or myself. I wanted them to have the advantage. Over they me. had the upper hand. And it is often, very often, that my daughter will sort of pull that out of her <laughs> Of her back pocket and say, well... I told her save it for special occasions. Well, I am. We are alike in these ways. Well, I am supposed to have your back. You know, things like that. So um, it really... Her learning about her role in our relationship um, changed her perspective. And so, anyway, without further ado, I'm going to... I'm going to... I don't have to pass the microphone over to David because he has his own. Um, but I'm going to just, I'm, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to listen. Well, I'll pick up where I left off. I believe a couple of podcasts ago, I'd mentioned that, um, and this is, this is a simple fact, about eight out of 10, sometimes as high as nine out of 10 of the teenagers that I'm counseling on a month to month basis will be either the firstborn daughter or the firstborn son. Most people have heard statements saying like the the firstborn child is like the experiment. The firstborn <laughs> child. <laughs> well, I can testify to that because that would be me. I'm not saying there's not <laughs> truth to it. I'm saying, you know, even kids will be like, well, I'm the first one. Like my younger siblings have it so much easier than me. And my parents, you know, they made all the mistakes on me. And then the younger kids laugh. Ha, ha, ha. And the older kids are like, that's not funny. Well, the oldest kid's always the best reader for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, the oldest kid's definitely better at changing diapers than the youngest kid. Right. That's definitely for and sure. And cleaning bathrooms. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so how, how this, how, let, let me, let me go really, really far back to the first time I heard about this. So I was in graduate school and I think I mentioned this before. Can't remember if it's here or the radio show. I've mentioned this a couple different times. I was in graduate school and there is three things that I needed to learn in graduate school that were really important in my practice and in my counseling experience. And those three things were really expensive considering it was about 65 grand worth of <laughs> student loans. So I'm not, I'm not talking trash on my graduate school, just it's a barrier to entry. You, so you got, I feel like I really need to write these, this, these three so, things down. So I'm saving you $65,000. <laughs> you don't have to go to graduate school to get all this information. I'm just give you the three things I learned. So I had this one professor and it was a family re relationship class and they were going over the different roles that certain birth orders have in the family, like the oldest son, the middle child, the youngest child, excuse me. And, you know, they said typical things like the youngest child is labeled as the joker and the middle child, I, I forget what the middle child is called, but they left went, out, left out. <laughs> yeah. Um, confused. And so they talked about all this different types of stuff. And I remember specifically the professor, he, he said something that really caught my attention because 
Now, mind you, I was raised by my grandparents, so biologically, I was the only child, so it made me the only, like, the oldest son. I just didn't know who my dad was. But the family I was adopted into, I saw the the father-oldest son relationship and the mother-oldest daughter relationship as being very unique and very different, even at a very young age. So when he'd said this, it really caught my attention. I remember I sat up in class. I think after the break, I moved up to the front of class because I decided I was going to pay attention in school that day. And uh, yes, a little confession on my part. Sometimes I didn't pay attention. So um, he said, he said, the oldest child of the family is not what we should be focusing on. He said it's the firstborn child and the same sex parent. He said, but the oldest child or the firstborn child of the same sex, they actually have two roles. So the youngest was just a comedian. They're comic relief. It's their job to break the ice, be sarcastic, annoy people, and they usually do a pretty good job at it. <laughs> and that's their role of the family. But he said the oldest child is, plays two roles. They are the hero and the black sheep. Really? And I remember going, wait, the hero and the black sheep, aren't those kind of like polar opposites? So I thought, oh, that makes sense because both my oldest siblings, my family, are basically bipolar. That wasn't <laughs> what he meant, though. <laughs> I Do just, your siblings listen to this podcast? They they don't listen to me at all, <laughs> let alone my podcast. I don't even think they know what a podcast is. But and I'm I'm partly joking, wink wink. So what he meant by this is that the old so the the hero and the black sheep. Most of the time, he used a comic book reference. He said, most of the time when we think of the hero, we think of the one that's like, dun-dun-dun-dun, with the cape and comes in and save this, saves the day. He said, but in reality, the hero is often the person who's willing to sacrifice themselves for everyone else. He said, don't be surprised if you, because I said I was going to be working with teenagers. He said, don't be surprised if you find yourself having a lot of these oldest kids come in and he described it as the oldest child really is capable of being the hero but sometimes in order to be the hero you got to sacrifice yourself for everybody else and then it looks like the black sheep so the oldest child will be the one that might be the most disrespectful the most um you know struggling with drug addictions having all these types of issues he said, but the, the black sheep is not trying to ruin the family. It's as if they're the flag bearer of the family. They're waving the red flag to the world saying, my family needs help. And if I need to sacrifice my own freedom, my own autonomy, everything about me, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the benefit of my family so that my family can change and my younger siblings can actually do better. And this made sense to me because the oldest child of the same sex had a really weird relationship with the family. I call it, they're like half player, half coach. They're half parent, half child. Now, for those of you people out there listening to this podcast that have ever seen The Lord of the Rings, I'm about to use an example. And the way my professor explained it to me, he pulled up books. He pulled up all these things from history. And from his recollection, it made a lot of sense to me. He said, in Chinese culture, in Jewish culture. He went around to all these different types of cultures. He's like, the oldest son, he, that was the first example he used, is the rightful heir to the family's fortune, the throne, 
but also the family's problems. So the oldest son is the only one that really understands because the oldest son doesn't have an older brother. His dad's the older brother. So if you have, let's say, three boys, the two younger boys you see at a very young age, man, they want the oldest brother's acceptance. Mm -hmm. They want the oldest brother to like them. They're following the oldest brother for hell or high water. <laughs> they are copying and mirroring the oldest brother because that's their closest in age male representative to model themselves after. But the oldest brother doesn't have that. He has the dad. So getting back to the professor, he had said, look at all these cultures, what they have in common. They were on opposite sides of the planet. And yet they had this thing where, for some reason, you didn't pick the rightful heir to the throne based upon their talent level, their ability to, with finances. Because let's say there's a king or a queen, and the king or queen have an oldest son, or, or in this case, if, if it's you know, a queen ruling, she had an oldest daughter. The rightful heir to the throne didn't go to the prettiest daughter, didn't go to the son that was the best warrior, especially if they had multiple sons and multiple daughters, it went to the firstborn. And he even showed uh, an example of, um, was it Alexander the Great? I can't remember the example, but it was a real life history example. He said this king had three sons from three different wives. Now, wait, I take that back. He had multiple sons from each wife because that was the crowning jewel if you could have, if a wife could give you boys, right? That was the big deal back in the day. So the first wife gave him two boys. The second wife gave him like three boys and like the third wife gave him two boys. Well, the first son from the first wife, that boy died for whatever reason. The rightful heir did not go to the second born son. It skipped over and went to the first born son of the second wife. And it yeah. created a huge problem in the kingdom because of course the other son was like, hey, I'm older. I'm technically older than this baby. I should get the... I should get the, the, the rightful heir to the throne, but it was very specific that it had to go to a firstborn. Um, I learned this, a lot of people out there listening to this, if, if you, you know, follow the Bible and stories uh, from the Bible, they talk about Jesus Christ being the only begotten son. And through talk of this, I remember I was talking to a father and he studied, you know, Jewish, you know, history and stuff like that. And we were counseling because he brought his oldest son that was having behavioral problems. And I talked to him about this relationship and he came back and he goes, I got to show you this. I go, what is this? He said, the only begotten son, you know, Jesus, he goes, I always thought it meant like it was the only son that God, like God had the son and, you know, he had it with Mary and um, it was half man, you know, you know, half God. And so he thought it had to do something along those lines. He goes, you want to know the direct translation for this in Hebrew? It's a phrase, the only begotten. I go, what is it? He goes, a unique relationship that is only used to describe the father with the firstborn son to identify that their relationship is different than any other relationship in the family. Hmm. And so throughout the years, uh, I'm listening to my professor. I'm like, wow, that's true. Native American culture, Chinese culture. Like it was just this common thing. And then it also said the same thing with the firstborn daughter. It said that the firstborn daughter has this unique bond with the mother. Well, she's half mom and half child. And then I started thinking about all the people I knew that, man, that mom and daughter, they were either best friends or they were worst enemies. It was extreme. And that could be in the same day. And I, I was just <laughs> going to say that. That could, 
be minute to minute. <laughs> Uh, and so and what I started to find out, and a supervisor of mine, he described it this way. And remember, I'm, I'm just gathering bits and pieces of information for the past 20 years. It was it was probably one of the biggest counseling puzzles. My mind was like, doo, 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 doo. you got to connect these dots. There was something there that was driving me to figure out this power in the relationship. And then as I started counseling teenagers, I started to see way more of the oldest child. Then I started to see the problems that were happening with this child. There was either an enmeshment with the same-sex parent or there was an extreme disconnection with the same-sex parent. And it didn't happen overnight. Well, one uh, supervisor that I had that was mentoring me, he said the he'd actually known a lot about this too and he'd had similar experiences in his practice and he was, I mean, he'd been doing it for like 30, 40 years. He said, he goes, it's a symbiotic relationship. And I remember that terminology from biology mm-hmm. in high school, but since I didn't study that much, I heard it, but just didn't, I'm like, remind me what that means again. And I remember he just linked his two fingers together because the easiest layman's way is to describe it as two organisms that feed off of each other. They benefit they, from they, each other. Well, yeah, what, one, what happens to one directly affects the other. They're not disconnected. They're, they're symbiotic, I mean, they're working in unison. Like you have a, rela- a symbiotic relationship with your cell phone. We talked about that before. <laughs> boom, boom. So, I mean, think about there it. There it I mean, is. Yeah, I know. I had to throw those shots in there. So he described it's a symbiotic relationship. And we talked about it. He said, you know, mothers with their their babies for the first couple of years of life, every mother has a very symbiotic relationship with their baby. She feels everything the baby's going through. And to some degree, there is that kind of back and forth relationship with all your kids. But it was different with a mother and her firstborn daughter and a father and, her, and his firstborn son in the fact that they actually share the energy. So, um, and I started to hear this with teenage girls. They would come in and I would tell them about, you know, oh, you're the oldest daughter? And they're like, yeah. I go, huh, because I'd start to see some signs. I said, what's it like when you come home and, and your mom's having a bad day? She's like, oh my gosh. If my mom's having a bad day, I could have the best day in the world. I come home and as soon as I walk in the door with all my siblings, they walk in and they see cookies and milk and they see all the things they want to snack and I see my mom's face. And instantly, my day is like, great, now I can't have a good day. And what's wrong? What's going on? And I start seeing mom's stress. So I start telling my siblings like, quick, we got to hurry up and clean up. Like mom's stressed. And they're like, who cares? Mom's always stressed. Like what's the difference? And she's like, no, you don't understand. The girls and the boys would start to tell me that they would feel it as if it was their stress and if it was happening to them much different than the younger ones. And I can I can tell you this is very much how I felt in my home. Um particularly and and I don't know if I've talked about it but you know I lost a brother when I was 12 and things changed in my home. Um and boy did I ever f- take that on on board but man I had that whole thing like if mom's not happy nobody's happy and and then my siblings didn't even like my mom's giving them a gas card so I I never got the gas card (laughs) I'm here to tell you that (laughs) well part of the reason why and I'll get into more of the psychological and emotional stuff in a minute but part of the reason why is your daughter, and this is you know using you as an example, she has known you longer than any other 
girl that you've given birth to. The highs, the lows. But more importantly than that, let's go back to her birth. Now, I, I want to be a little bit um, general because I know everybody has different experiences when they, when they give birth. But let's just put it in a typical experience. Um, the nine months that you knew you were going to have your daughter, and, or not nine months, but when you knew you were going to have a girl, did you know ahead of time? I did, actually. Okay. So Because I'd had two boys, and I knew I would need serious counseling <laughs> if, if it was another boy. Yeah. So, um, so what happens is as soon as a mom, and I've had plenty of moms share this with me, and this is how I like to describe it to people, as soon as a mom knows that she's having a girl, something different happens inside of the mom because when you know you're having a boy you're like okay typical nesting stuff okay got to get the house ready got to get this ready and you're going through different types of stuff but you're not expecting to have the same life experience or them to have the same life experience as you because they're a different sex than you with a girl now imagine this for a second Heidi because I know this may not be conscious for a lot of people, but I'm very confident from my experience, it's definitely happening working in our subconscious. In order for a mom to think, how can I make sure my daughter is better than me? She's gonna have to go inside of her own memory bank and she's gonna have to awaken her missed opportunities, her fails, her insecurities, and go back and figure out where she went wrong in her own personal life and then bring that information to the forefront of her mind and start to build and create a life that her daughter will not follow the same suit. So let's say mom is really insecure about her not, hair her, her hair, or not being... Because I'm <clears throat> telling you, I have this with my own girls. I, I wasn't allowed to have long hair because my mom thought it was too much work. And now I relish in my short hair, but I didn't, I wouldn't cut my, my girl's hair, Quincy's hair. I wanted her to have long hair. Okay. Th like, that's, that's a very a simple, simple example. thing, but very simple that example. was an issue. Anyway, um, sorry. Well, I won't interrupt you. Well, one mother I'm thinking about, um, she was always given the title as being so emotional. When she was growing up, she was the girl that would break down and cry at the drop of the hat. Everybody in her family, like, eh, they teased her and mocked her because she's always crying. She's always emotional. So throughout her adult life, she developed a hard exterior to protect those very sensitive emotions. Well, I asked her, I said, you know, when she was pregnant, I said, what's the greatest fear that you'll have for your daughter? It's like that she'll be hyper emotional like me and she'll get made fun of all the time. And so I want to make mm -hmm. sure that she's strong and she's tough and then she's not emotional. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, we'll see how this one works out. Well, the three months leading up to her pregnancy, she was always like, I mean, from how she decorated the room, everything in her mind was little nuggets and little setups to make sure her daughter was showing strength. So typically for a girl's room, you'd want to do like butterflies, stuff like that. She did lions. She had all these subconscious things that she was trying to build this, you know, this, you know, this site of strength and everything around her was going to re reveal this, the strength inside of her. And now mind you, this mom was seeing me originally for depression and a lot of struggles. So as she was going through this process, she was worrying constantly. And then when she gave birth, 
she said, this was her recollection of it. She said, I was in the room, you know, gave birth. They wrapped her up. They put her on my stomach. And I looked at her. She said, the months of worry that I had up to the point, fearing that my insecurities, my flaws were going to be, you know, carried on to her and transferred on to her. All those worries and fears disappeared. She said, I actually, for this first time, I had hope in myself because I felt I was going to be a horrible mother. I, you know, I'm struggling with depression. I, you know, I was not sure if I could even do it. And I look at this little girl and she said, I've never seen anything so perfect and so flawless. She said, but the interesting thing about it was I was looking at me, but it wasn't me, but it was me. She said, I was looking at myself for the very first time, flaw, as close to flaw as could be. And the thought that she had, she said, dang, if I could make such a beautiful, perfect baby, maybe I'm not so bad after all. And the relief brought tears to her eyes. She said it was the most confident she'd ever felt in her whole entire life up until that point. And this is where it went wrong. And I didn't tell her everything I knew at that particular point because I knew she kind of had to go through it. But later on, I decided I'd start telling people ahead of time. <laughs> so they had a little bit of preparation for this. And then later on, after I'm counseling teenagers, I'd walk moms back to that first birth time and help them see it through this, through this metaphor, this perception. And what had happened was at that moment when she saw that perfection, she saw that she had this great moment but like all human beings, when we have great moments, we really want to duplicate those great moments. So subconsciously, and she realized this later, she said she made a plan. She said, how do I recreate this great feeling? She goes, okay, well, let me think about it. My daughter's perfect, and it makes me feel less horrible than I've ever felt in my life, and I actually feel like there's hope for me, so I know I'll just make sure I keep her perfect. And that's where it all began. She didn't want her to screw up. She didn't want her to screw up. So this is where the transference comes. And by the way, anyone listening to this, you cannot avoid this. <laughs> this is part of the refining process of our human experience. Because if you think about it, she felt she failed by coming up with such an absurd plan to keep her daughter perfect. Turns out what she was doing is she was transferring her own personal issues into her daughter, and I'll get into that in just a second, by having the expectation that she could keep her daughter that way. So the first couple of years of life, it's, it's pretty basic mothering type stuff in regards to she wasn't, this wasn't really showing so much. But after the daughter started turning two or three years old, especially three, the daughter started having some extreme emotions. And it was all too familiar to her extreme emotions. The husband was like, oh, she's just like you. <gasps> no, she's not. Like, I mean, it was like, you don't want to tell mom that, you know, the one thing she doesn't want her daughter to be is just like her. But, you know, of course, people joke with her and then the daughter turns four years old. And I had known this family for quite some time. So I was watching this whole entire thing play out. And the mom, again, was, you know, getting her daughter and like, let's get her into martial arts, get her all the things that the mom was scared of, she was going to make her daughter do. I'm like, you can't make your daughter jump out of an airplane at five. She's like, I wish you could because it'd make her so much braver. I'm like, no, it'd make her scared of heights. <laughs> so the mom was battling this the whole entire time. And what she realized is that 
a very simple thing. She can't help her daughter with something that she doesn't have to give. There is still some unfinished business. There are some fears, there's some anxieties, there's some insecurities that she would prefer to hide and cover up because they were just too painful for her to go into. The mom made a very conscious decision. We had, had a lot of talks about this and she said, okay, I, I think I'm ready to, to go into this. So the mom, you know, by my suggestion, I had her start doing some EMDR therapy. Um, it's a specific type of therapy. You can Google it. I won't get into it right now, but it, it's really releasing some trauma and some things that happen in the mom's life. And it's, it's some heavy stuff. Like it's not like my relationship counseling therapy. It's like brings up some stuff, but it, it does help you relieve it from your body and the places you carry it. And so she started to make some progress there. Every step of the way that she was really tackling her anxiety and depression, because I was seeing her for a long time and she was doing a little bit, but she was just doing enough to not fall apart. She wasn't really going hard, as she put it. But when her daughter turned four or five and she started to have anxiety as a four-year-old, the mom knew it was transferred onto her because the mom's anxiety was showing the daughter to have anxiety. And the daughter was like, I have to make my mom happy and not have anxiety and that's the only way I could help my mom. She was feeling all of her mom's stress and worries, but a four and five-year-old doesn't know about adult stress and worries. So as the mom started to get deeper and deeper, then the mom, I mean, deeper and deeper in her own self-progression, her own betterment and her well-being, then the daughter's symptoms started to subside. The mom learned a very valuable lesson. And, you know, now the daughter's, you know, preteen and, you know, things are a whole lot better. But the mom learned a valuable lesson. That with the mom and older daughter relationship, father and oldest son relationship, you don't get to watch them sail off into the sunset because they won't go into the sunset. They'll stop and wait for you. And if you don't make the changes in your life, they will dig in their heels and they will make you pay for it. So the girls that come and talk to me, and I know now I'm focused on girls, but dads, everyone listening to this, this is, it's the same thing with fathers, oldest sons. The difference is just the differences in the sex boys and girls being different and dads and moms being different. But the teenage girls that come into me, and I remember I'm saying 80 to 90% are the, the first, it's a firstborn daughter. It's not a firstborn daughter mom issue, but if the firstborn daughter and the mom do not have a strong connected relationship, understanding these basic tools, then that becomes the center of their problems. It becomes something way greater. Imagine this. You and your best friend are at war with each other. That's the opposite of what a best friend you should be. So it doesn't allow us to really progress in other aspects of our life when the person that's supposed to have your back you feel is stabbing you in the back. The person that knows more information about you than anyone on the face of the planet that's seen you vulnerable more than anyone else has, that person is now a potential enemy. That's scary. And can I, can I say, I think the, the thing that I felt about when we started talking about this, the thing that I realized I felt from my mom and that my daughter has been able to share with me is that I felt like I was being held to a higher standard than anybody else in the whole wide world to my were. mom. And I feel like, like there's been a couple times that I've been more mad at Quincy than I have ever been mad at anybody 
because of this really high expectation that I've created for for this person because I I I I expected that. I, I and and I felt like I couldn't ever measure up to my mom's expectation. But at the same time, and I learned this a lot further, uh, you know, I, I learned this too late for, for me at that time, that she actually was super, super proud of me, but not doing a great job letting me know that. I wasn't osmosisly picking that up from anywhere. Well, no, you make great points. And teenage girls that come and talk to me, I, I have to help them figure out how to have their own identity. Because the way I describe it is imagine you take a quarter and you, tr- you stand that quarter up on its side. And I don't even know if this is a real thing, but let's say you have some sort of laser saw and you're able to slice the quarter, not cut it in half, but cut it so that you're right down the thin part of it. So it actually folds it open where now you have a heads and a tails, but you, it's split in two. If you look at a heads and you look at a tails, they have nothing in common. One says, in God we trust. The, I mean, they're complete opposites. But if you were to split them in two, you can't go to the grocery store and say, hey, can I buy 12 and a half cents worth of a piece of gum? <laughs> right. The only way the quarter has its value is if it's together. And the only way for a mom and oldest daughter to have each other's back is they have to be connected. I call moms and oldest daughters, they're emotional Siamese twins. If you've ever watched a documentary on Siamese twins, and I don't know if this is true anymore, but I remember a long time ago I watched a documentary on Siamese twins. They wanted nothing in this documentary, nothing more than to be separated. And as soon as they performed the surgery, one of them died. They couldn't live apart from each other. It was a weird thing. It's like being together was what kept them alive. Being separated almost assured their death. And so is and, it a, is it a tr- true like yin-yang type situation? I mean, when you say that, like with the heads and tails being opposite, it, are, are we alike or are we? Well, sometimes people pick up on this really quick. Other people take it too literally. They say, <laughs> like, they say well, <laughs> well, me and my oldest daughter don't look alike. We have totally two different personalities. I said, this is not a personality match. This is an emotional and energy match. Hmm. You, when you're upset she feels it as if it's happening to her. Hmm. When you're happy, it makes it as if she's allowed to be happy. So the teenage daughters that come into me, they'll tell me their frustrations with their, with their mom. There's certain things about their mom that they're, yeah, my mom's a hard worker, she's this and that, and they just kind of, that's just what it is. But every time this bad scenario happens, stressful scenario happens, my mom flips out. So what they do is they say, okay, if I don't respect something that my mom does, or more importantly, if I think my mom is creating her own sadness and her own misery because of the way she's reacting to something, the oldest daughter says, every time I'm up against that situation, I'll do the complete opposite. There's a problem with that rational, that, that, that processing. Is doing the opposite of someone else to be different than them isn't necessarily you choosing what you wanna do. It's a reaction. So for example, a lot of times this happens, a mom is ultra controlling and super conservative, specifically in this area with religion and stuff. So then the daughter will say, hmm, I'm going to hang out with kids who are complete opposite. I'm going to vape. I'm going to do these other different types of stuff because 
Obviously, my mom's super stressed out, so apparently being that religious and moral is not is too much for her to handle. Too much of an expectation. She's losing her mind trying to be perfect. So the daughter isn't necessarily saying, hey, this is my lifestyle that I choose. She's actually trying to counterbalance the mom. This happens in husbands and wife relationships. If a, hus- if a wife feels a husband's too lenient, then she needs to buckle down more. If a husband feels that the wife is too controlling, then he becomes more Disneyland dad. It doesn't create an even space. It creates disconnection in their relationship. So I often have to... Compensation. Yeah, you're overcompensating, but it's not your choice. You're reacting. You're not responding, you know, referring back to our old podcast. And so one thing that I help teenagers do in this situation is I help them identify the strengths of their same-sex parent and say, are these things that you would actually admire and want to be like? And they'll go, yeah, well, that's, that's a good thing about my parents. So it's good for them to acknowledge that their parents not all bad. But then I ask them these other areas where you feel that you're, you're so different than your parent. Maybe you're not really different. Maybe you're tired of being their Siamese twin and feeling everything that they're feeling. And maybe you're trying to teach them a lesson because you've been watching them fail their whole entire life and now you're a teenager, you're going to expose them to the world, hoping that they will change. Now, it's not, in, it's not like a conscious thing where a teenager says, I'm going to expose my mom to the world, but it definitely is very subconscious. And our last DM, we talked about a mom, you know, like, you know, trying to stop her son from vaping. And then once she let go of that, then the son started to, you know, comb his hair a little bit better, do some things. This happens in a much greater extreme with the, with the mother-oldest-daughter relationship, father-oldest-son relationship. Once the son sees the oldest son, sees the father making real change to be a better source of information, a better person, it could be losing weight, it could be going back to school, facing his own fears, instead of covering up behind his adulthood status by admitting that he struggles in certain areas, until that happens, the oldest son it's just something about him ir- is irking about the dad and all of his insecurities and flaws because he carries the same insecurities and flaws in feeling. Mm-hmm. So until the father goes first or until the mother goes first, the same sex oldest child can hold massive resentment, can be angry at the parent like they've never been angry at anyone else before. And you just said you've been angry at your daughter and it's a rage of anger because the expectation, you did not create the expectation into, like intentionally, but the expectation is she is the heir to my throne. How the heck am I supposed to have a better family than the family before me? And how she's supposed to be happy if she doesn't help me out with this situation? When you were trying to change the younger kids' diapers, how many times did you ask Quincy to help you? You're saying, help me relieve my stress because if you relieve my stress, I can be a better mom to everybody else. And then your daughter's like, great, now I get to be stressed trying to help you with your stress while everybody else just gets to play around and makes messes on the table. So the oldest child of the same sex does not get the same pass that everyone else gets. Mm -hmm. It's a partner. So I said before, and a couple people emailed in about this. They said, David mentioned how the same sex oldest child is as equal or as important of a relationship to the family dynamic is the husband-wife relationship. Yes, that is true, and I'll prove it. Your husband, ladies, if you're out there listening, husbands, if you're out there listening, your wives, they can love you. But speaking to mom specifically, 
Your husband can love you. You could have the best husband in the world. He can be amazing. You could have trained him all these years, you know, got him to know exactly what you want. He could be awesome. And he will never be a woman one day of his existence. You will still go to your girlfriends and share things with them that you won't share with him because he just can't relate. He is not part of that tribe. There's just something different about the experience of having a sexuality. And this even broadens, I've, I've worked with LGBTQ people that they get this because they will relate to someone of a sexuality that they associate with, that that's their orientation. And so it's something about that likeness of a mother with her firstborn daughter. She's like, I'd rather ask my firstborn daughter to help me out the situation because I'd have to give him 10 seminars to why even she'd even do it where my daughter's like, oh, I get it. Like my dad's like, oh, mom will freak out if we don't do it. Dad's like, well, why do we need to do it? And all the stars like, just do it, dad. Like, don't even try to make sense of it. <laughs> but if you think about in that perspective, he'll never be a woman one day of his life. So how could you have the same expectations of him as the oldest daughter? And you never will. You won't even try. You, you won't even you're try. Already, you're already discounting well, that. Well, <laughs> if you do try, it's kind of ridiculous because you better. if you've been married for a month, you might try. If you've been married for a decade, you, you've, you've let that ship sail a long time ago <laughs> right. trying to get him to figure out what it's like to be a woman? Right. Oh, my goodness. I, again, I make a living off guys like that. They're like, huh? Well, like my wife needs me to give her compliments. I'm like, yeah, dude. I'm like, what are you talking about? So the mom, oldest daughter, the father, oldest son, same thing with dads. You know, we hear those things like my wingman. But what if a dad wants his son to look so brave and courageous because the dad felt like his lack of courage and bravery stopped him from a sports career, stopped him from making the money? He can unknowingly transfer all of his insecurities onto his son. But here's where the beauty comes from. The only way for the son to break the cycle and the only way for the dad to break the cycle is it takes two people. The dad would have to acknowledge his flaws, his insecurities, and his weaknesses. And you would have to share with the son that, son, I need help with this, and I can't do it without you. They would have to see the relationship as a partnership. And incidentally, in an assertive way, right? Like, it, it also can't happen in a victim way, like going back to the assertive vulnerability. Yeah. Like, it, it has to get owned, Right? If you tell your son, and this is a very common one, I know I bring this up there, so hopefully I'm not intentionally shaming anyone. I just got to be real with you. In my experience, I've never counseled, and I get a lot of teenage boys that come into my office um, specifically because the mom or the dad found out that there's pornography, that they're looking at it. To this, to this date, maybe I've just been ironic that it's been this way. My supervisor said it's most common that this way that just like we transfer our insecurities and these types of things, we also transfer serious issues. Um, every teenage boy that's ever came to counsel with me that was caught with pornography and was identified of having some sort of issue with it, the dad has also had an issue with it, at least in the past, in the present, at some point. And the first thing I do is try to get a relationship with the dad, and I tell the dad, you are the solution, you're not the problem. Sometimes the wife will know about that issue and I'll say, Hey, uh, by any chance is dad ever? And then the mom goes, oh, don't even get me started. Mm -hmm. That's a secret that they've kept because they don't want to shame the dad and make him look bad. And the first thing I go for, I go, well, you're not going to like what I'm about to say then dad. <laughs> He's like, what? 
I mean, they are like, what? I'm like, we need to have a private conversation between your son, you and me, and we need to start talking about the thing that you haven't talked about because you want your son to not be free, uh, to not be trapped by these issues, right? Absolutely. Well, you're the only one with the key. And so I have the dad in certain ways, confess, talk about it. Everyone has a different comfort level, but we, we, break them, we break it to the point where once the dad starts to talk about this, it doesn't villainize the dad the way the dad's scared it'll villainize the dad. It actually normalizes the dad. And now the son's like, oh, dad can be a trusted resource if he has struggled with it or if he is struggling with it maybe I can get through it too because dad has a job. Dad apparently has some strengths and skills. And so then they're able to work as a partnership to overcome that because that secrecy of any personal struggle with whether the personal struggle be mental health issues like depression. Um, a lot of times dads and right when dad say, well, you know, I can't relate to my son cause I've never had depression. He's struggled with depression. I'm like you just told me you've struggled with depression. Little did you know, you've just been covering up so much. And I've had dads argue with me, say, I'm not depressed, I'm not depressed. I go, tell me what depression is. And they describe it. And then I Google it and they go, oh, it's not what I thought it was. Like, exactly. So you've been telling your son the whole entire time, I've never been insecure with this. I've always been social. I've always been good with girls. But I'm looking at your, uh, your uh, high school yearbook and there wasn't a lot of girls trying to hook up with you over the summer, buddy. <laughs> so may, maybe, because I don't know, ladies, if you're out there listening to this, sometimes guys make up stories. And they say it for so long, they forgot that it wasn't even true to begin with. So if we're not careful with our same sex oldest child. It's not just the the guys. Yeah. We (laughs) can create a false sense of we've accomplished this. Or we can say, you know what? I've worked on my insecurities. I've worked on my pornography addictions, alcohol, whatever your struggles may have been. However, I haven't really been able to completely finish the job because I needed your help. Now it goes from your teenager being the source of your struggle to being the only person that can help you get through it. So when you say as a mom, you put more expectations on your daughter, it's necessary for her to have a greater expectation. The problem is, is you have to have a greater expectation of yourself so that she sees her work as it's, it's almost like her work is not it. If she feels that all the, all the stress is put on her for her to be excelling in these areas so it doesn't make you look bad, then it's not a partnership. If it's a shared struggle, if it's something that you can have open conversations with, then and only then does it become a partnership where you're telling her, hey, you work on the teenage version of it, I'll work on the older mom version of it, and together we'll compare notes and we'll have camaraderie and we can break this cycle together. Because there's strength in numbers. Everybody knows that. So the mother-oldest-daughter relationship, the father-oldest-son relationship, it is such a powerful um, relationship that it causes more dissension in an entire family. Because what does a mom want more than anything for her oldest daughter? To be a good example to the other kids. (laughs) What does a dad want? Be a good example to the other kids. And both the mom and the dad are saying, be a good example to everybody else. And oh, yeah, by the way, it would really help me if you made me look good. And from two to nine years old, the oldest daughter and the oldest son, they're in on they're in on the on on the act. But as soon as they hit preteens, as soon as they hit teenagers, they realize that their information about you would be better served if they expose you. That's when they start to criticize you. 
that's when they start to bring all your insecurities that you weren't supposed to let any, that they weren't supposed to tell on you about. They start telling their friends and they start saying, oh, my mom always freaks out like this. Moms go, what are you talking about? I don't always freak out like that. Who said that? And they're sitting there, mom, I've been watching my whole entire life freak out in this situation. And the mom's looking at, I tell you what, you want to feel like you're stabbed in the back? Moms and dads have told me the day that their teenagers started to say out loud in front of other people the issues that they had, they felt as if they were stabbed in the back. They said, how could you, who have always helped me keep my secrets, now expose me to the world? How dare you? Well, I'm going to expose you. And that's where it gets really contentious when you forget that it's a child trying to help you because it comes out in teenage language and it's very rude and disrespectful and you take it personal. Now you go into a deeper hole of like, I have to protect my issues and now I have to shame you so that you feel so bad about your issues, you're not going to expose me for mine. That's the opposite of the partnership. So then the secrets start to become the the safety, right? Yep. Like blackmail. <laughs> well, and, and that's why it becomes best friend, worst enemies in the same day. Because at the end of the day, the mom and oldest daughter, they don't want to hate each other. They're their best shot to be successful. I, if an oldest daughter comes in me, and this happens quite often, she says, my, old, my mom is my biggest issue. And she goes on to describe things. I say, okay, I want you to imagine something for a second. It may be hard to imagine, but imagine this for a second. Imagine you come home from school and your mom says, hey, sweetheart, um, I don't know how your day was, but um, just been thinking about you. If there's anything you can do, I can do to help you out. I'd be happy to help you out. She meant it. She was sincere. Let's say you open up and told her about your day. She didn't tell you you're wrong, you're right. She listened to you like a good friend and she was there to be a shoulder to cry on. And she's like, all right, just let me know what, what you need for me to help you get through this tough time. And there's no fight. There's no drama. There's no argument. Now, usually I'm saying this to a girl who's telling me that her and her mom are fighting so bad that they hate each other. The same response I get from every single girl. They say, I'd have a completely different life. I go, how do you think that would help you in your own life? I'd be more self-confident. Quickly their mind figures out that they would be so much more successful in all the things they do because if this relationship is weighing on them, everything else becomes 10 times harder. They tell me that if this relationship was their greatest support, they know that everything else would have greater, more options. They'd have more freedom. They could think the way they want to think instead of reacting to everything that their mom says. They could actually have their own autonomy, which by the way, if we're talking about emotional Siamese twins, oldest daughter is one of the best examples I've had of this talking to this girl, senior high school, she gets volleyball scholarships. The last thing that her mom wanted to do, even though they were fighting tooth and nail, the mom did not want her to go far away. She was like, why don't you stay here at BYU? Why don't you do this and that? The daughter took a scholarship to, and this girl had some big scholarships. She could have went to Utah, BYU. She went to a school in Southern Florida that I never even heard of that wasn't even D1, and the mom lost her mind, and the daughter was smiling. And the daughter said, I want to go as far away as possible as I can from my mom because I think that's the only way that I'm ever going to be free. I said, okay. I told her about the oldest our relationship. The relationship got a little bit better for she left. I said, but I'm telling you, you could go next door. You could go far away. Your mom will be inside your head. You will not stop thinking about her. She won't stop thinking about you. She came home that next summer and she told me, she goes, you're right. She goes, I didn't talk to my mom for three months 
But guess what? I had a conversation with my head every single day. Why isn't she called? The mom's like, why isn't she called? I'm counseling the mom on the side because there are some issues with the teenage brother. And the mom was like, oh, how's your daughter? Nah, nah. Well, she hasn't called me. And then the daughter would text me. So my mom has called me. So when she came over the summer, I was like, so how did it work? Well, the daughter transferred back to Utah because <laughs> she said it was pointless. I'm going to be stressed out and frustrated with her, whether we're talking, whether I'm in Europe, whether she realized that she could not, this relationship was too deep in the DNA. It was too biological. There's something powerful at work. Finally, in that summertime, both the mom and daughter went to a whole nother level. They worked on the relationship and I'm happy to say it's way better now. They laugh about it now, but they joked about it. They both thought that maybe fine. We're far away. We're not talking. It'll make it better. Didn't matter. It's that power of relationship. If you don't work on it, it actually can tear apart families. A little side note, think about movies. So the, I, I mentioned earlier about uh, Lord of the Rings. It's a trilogy. I've never watched that show. So the whole, let should. me tell you about this. The whole entire trilogy, there's a story that's it's the true. basis of the whole entire, whole entire movie that gets lost. It's the relationship between a father and his oldest son. So I, I may beat up the words. I but mean, that's a Star Wars, like Star Wars too. Yeah. So Aragon, <laughs> I think it's Aragon. I think I pronounce it. In the very beginning, he's this lone ranger guy. Hopefully this is not a spoiler. It came out like 20 years ago. <laughs> um, so and just to give you a little example of this, how it shows up in stories and books all the time, Aragon, he starts out, he's this ranger. He's this lone guy. And he's the main, like one of the main characters between all three movies. Well, it turns out that his dad was the king that had this ring of power. It's this evil ring. He stood in front of the volcano. He was supposed to throw in the volcano, but the ring manipulates our pride. And it manipulated him to think, oh, I can keep it. So Edergon stepped away from his rightful heir to the throne of the whole entire human kingdom. And the reason why he did that was because he said, I have the same insecurities and same pride as my dad. So this is what happens with the oldest son and oldest daughter, how they become looking like the black sheep. Instead of stepping up and saying, I can help break the cycle, I can do different than my parent in front of me, because let's face it, every parent wants their kid to be better than them. Instead of saying that, a lot of times the oldest child will run away and look like the black sheep. So then he runs away. The final movie, guess what it's called? Return of the King. The entire movie ends with, they realize the only person that could actually run the kingdom was the one that could relate to the king because think about it, the king transferred all of his insecurities onto him, but he's not his dad. So he stood in front of the final part of the movie. He threw the ring in there and broke the cycle. So he had the same insecurities as his dad and he overcame the insecurities. Hence, that's how come he was the only one that could do that and he became the king and it changed everything. So even though that's a story, it shows up in stories all the time. Um, the one, uh, the, the, the girl who lost her arm, the surfer, soul surfer. I'm watching the movie and I have a bunch of clients of mine. Have you seen soul surfer? Cause every time someone hears about this oldest, uh, child, you know, parent, same sex parent relationship, they're like, have you seen this movie? You've seen this book. There's one dad, he goes, I'm watching the movie in the movie theater. And there was a side, there was a side story going on. The father and the oldest son start fighting in the hospital when the daughter got her shoulder ripped off and they have a whole bad relationship that had nothing to do with her attack of the shark, but it was part of their life. Father, oldest son. He's like, you shouldn't have done this. Dad's like, you shouldn't have done that. So it's interesting how that dynamic, it is a partnership, but if we don't figure out how to work in that partnership, it can really make the family dynamic very difficult. But if you do figure it out, 
man, it can take the family to a whole new heights. Well, and I, I got to share the specifics of something that happened to me, and it didn't really, it didn't really dawn on me until I learned about this. Um, so, me as a 16-year-old was, I mean, I was a high-achieving kid, and I wanted to get the good grades, and I wanted to have the jobs. I really wanted independence because that was kind of like money was kind of the and clothes that I wanted, that was kind of the, the thing that that was that my mom had over me. Um, so I'm 16 and and I was a good, hardworking and striving very, very hard to be independent. That was that was my black sheepness probably. It was just not that I was making bad choices or things that my parents weren't agreeing with. I mean, except for maybe, like, girls aren't allowed to drive on dates, and then when the guy that you wanted to date doesn't have a car, and so then you drive anyway. That kind of, like, wow, would I ever get in trouble for that? But anyway, fast forward to my 40th birthday. And around this time, my mom has decided that she's going to start transcribing all of her journals. She was a journal writer. And occasionally she would um, email me an excerpt from her journal. And right around my 40th birthday, so this is about six years ago, I get an email that is an excerpt on my, 14, on my 16th birthday. And I can vividly, vividly remember that I was not cutting it for my mom. They were harping on, like, my room being a mess. They were harping on my time management and whatever else. I just felt like I sucked and that, they, that she felt like I, I just was not good enough. And... This excerpt was like, Heidi turned 16 today, and I can't believe where the time has gone. And she is the most beautiful, responsible, high-achieving. I'm so proud of her. I look at her, and I just think, where did she even come from? She amazes me over and over and over. And it wasn't very long. You know, it was like maybe three or four sentences. And I got the email, and I read it, and tears like immediately burst I burst into tears and I just thought man I wonder how different my life would be if I knew that this is how my mom felt about me because I was so busy beating myself up about about it and um you know I don't remember her ever putting her arm around me and saying, I am really proud of you. Like, maybe she did. <laughs> and I just don't have that that memory. Um, and maybe I, I wasn't ready probably, to hear it. It probably wasn't part of her personality and calm enough for it to really stick, though. And, and so the thing that I kind of learned in context with learning about this and having Quincy kind of call me out was that I had to actually verbalize... Things you thought about her. Yeah. And, and be transparent about how proud I was of her and not let my overly high expectations be the only vibe she was getting. And she's tried to do that for me too. You know, um, uh, another thing that's come up a lot, um, again, with teenage girls and, and the oldest mom relationship um, and moms had seen this and admitted to it after the counseling process, and they understood this. And it was hard for them to admit this, but the daughters understood exactly where this was coming from. 
if you look at a mom and oldest daughter relationship, because they're symbiotic, they have to be close to each other. That's why I say a mom can't just say, you know, I'm damaged goods, sweetheart, live a great life and live, go on without me. Because what happens is as soon as the daughter starts to say, okay, well, I'm going to try to live a life without you and try to exceed, then the mom will pull the rug out from underneath her and make sure she falls down so that they stay at the same level. I, so I use a scale of one to 10. So let's say a daughter, and this could be an adult daughter too. And let's say a daughter, she's got a great husband. She's got a great family. I mean, let's say that's her, her ideal, right? Husband, family, they're financially secure and I'm making up a make-believe situation, but her life's doing great. She should be at a nine or a 10. But if the mom is struggling, if the mom's struggling with like depression, insecurities, maybe physically, mentally, emotionally in her relationships, and the mom's like at a two, there's something about the loyalty and the connection in this relationship, the daughter can't be higher than a six. Hmm. Will discount, will she, not be able to see it, or will like no, she, only convey that to her mom? She can't be at a 10 unless her mom's with her. The loyalty of the mother-oldest daughter relationship, and this is my the number one thing that I tell moms and oldest daughters, you are actually best friends. You are on, imagine if you gave birth to your best friend. That's what I like to tell them. Now you're raising your best friend and at some day they're gonna come to your equal stage and you need that best friend to walk through life with you. And if you are sitting there going, nope, I'm not gonna do it, then your best friend's gonna say, all right, well, I'll wait for you till you're ready. Even if we have to fight, argue it tooth and nail. My wife with her mom, um, without giving out too much information, part of the reason why it was beneficial for us to move from California back here to Utah, her mom was going through a hard time. And my wife, being the pit bull that she is, living in California, she would call her mom every single day on the way home from work. And by the time she had a 20-minute drive, by the time she'd get home, my wife would be in a bad mood. And we were having relationship problems. I'm like, what the heck's going on? We just got married. We don't have anything to fight about. And she's like, ah, she's grumpy and mad. So you didn't clean this. I'm like, what's going on? Finally, one day, she told me she got the phone with her mom. She was really pissed off and angry because her mom was at home, wasn't exercising, wasn't eating right. All these things that my wife prided herself on to make herself happy. And then I said, well, honey, how often do you call your mom? She goes, as soon as I get in the car, when I leave work, I drive home, I call my mom every single day. I'm like, like, I talk to my mom like once every three months. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you call her? I didn't know she called her every day. And I said, what are the conversations? She goes, every day it's just like this. And I said, so how's your approach? She's like, I basically get on her, tell her. She's like, what'd you do? It's five o'clock. You haven't done your makeup yet? You haven't left the house? Her mom was showing with depression. And so she was like, I'm going to beat and shame it out of her. And then her mom would pull back and they would fight and they'd, you know, fine, okay, bye. And then start over the day the next day again. What she didn't realize at that particular moment was my wife couldn't have a happy relationship with her husband because her mom was depressed and sad. So she wasn't even, she wasn't even allowed to enjoy our life. Now moving back here, now it's totally different. They're best friends now. In fact, the birth, our daughter being born, Solana being born, right when Solana was born and Alicia found out that she was having a baby girl, she'd heard me talk about this mom oldest our relationship. She didn't want to hear about it. I mean, I'm a therapist. She doesn't want me to therapize her. I remember uh, down in uh, American Fork, there's a Rubio's fish taco place. It's from my hometown in California. So I'd go there often. We're sitting there in one of those little, like, kind of tiki tut type booths. And she goes, all right, 
you're right. I can't stop thinking about having a baby girl. It's worrying me that I'm going to have the same relationship with my daughter that me and my mom are having. She goes, I hear you talk about this mom, oldest daughter relationship thing. She goes, will you please explain it to me? And I, my jaw just dropped. My wife had never asked me to share any information about what I know about human beings. And we'd been married for four <laughs> years. It was, you know, she didn't want to hear from me. And I, I could see why. I, it was giving me power over her if she did. So we sat there for two hours and I explained it to her. Everything changed. From those next months, she started working, taking my advice. We're in there when she was giving birth. Her and her mom bonded on that day. I mean, the mom, imagine when Quincy has her first girl and you're there and your relationship is solid and they all enjoyed that together. It was the trifecta, past, present, future. Not only was it breaking the cycle, it was creating a whole new one. And to this day, their relationship, they go on little mom-daughter dates. Like they just have this special bond, the three of them. It's so powerful and so strong. And it was because of this information that took me years to find out. Is it, is the important thing just like knowing about it, acknowledging it, and then accepting, adapting, evaluating for yourself? Like, so now that we've kind of given this information and, and obviously we knew that this topic was going to take some extra time to kind of get out there. What's the, what's the tool? You, you, you know, like what's what's the 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 benefit in knowing this is just uh, just uh, being able to see it as it is. Well, everyone listening to this, highway, just like how you first responded to it, Quincy first responded to it. When you hear something that just resonates on a cellular level, let's not undervalue just knowing this how powerful that is. Right. So just being aware of it, because it's been pl- people come back to me and they'll be like. I start thinking about, they're not the oldest. They're like, man, I start thinking about my, my older sister, my mom. Oh my gosh. Or my friends. There's one family that they own like this little business and this mom and daughter were fighting and the teenage girl was like 19. She was sitting there and the mom walks away or the daughter walks away and she looks at the mom. She's like, that's your oldest daughter, isn't it? And the mom's like, yeah. How did you know? She I'll just look a guess. And she had done like two years of counseling on this subject <laughs> with me. And she came back. She, oh my gosh, it is so it is so obvious how different it is. When you start but when really we're in it, it, we just yeah. don't realize, why is this so frustrating and aggravating? Because it's your best friend you're not connecting with. So to answer your question. It just, and it just really helps to have it, yeah. the information on both sides yeah. of the fence, right? Yeah. Because, because it doesn't really do any good for me to know it, but my daughter not to know it. Yeah. How it's, could someone that makes me feel, remember, when you first held Quincy, how could someone that could make you feel like you're not flawed and make you feel like you are an amazing person cause you the most hurt and pain? Well, it's because they actually made you have the most pleasure. So they're capable of creating greater pain, greater pain when that pleasure is gone, when they when the connection's lost and the ultimate amount of fear and the ultimate amount of fear, because now they're the one that is the rightful heir to your throne. So to answer your question, because this is something I usually work with at least a couple months with people right. every single week, just go the whole entire important steps. First step, it's a symbiotic relationship. And I mean it, there's other ways to look at the word symbiotic. Just take my definition of it. You and if you're a parent listening to this, you and your same sex oldest child. And by the way, if you've been married three times and you have a, a daughter or if you're a husband that have multiple sons from different wives, it's the same thing with every single son from a new wife or every single daughter from a new re- marriage because every marriage was a different life. Interesting and overwhelming. 
Yeah, think about that, though. I've never had anyone argue with me. Every marriage was a different life. That's a totally different experience. So you're a different person when you had this girl, and then 10 years ago you had another girl. You're not the same mom anymore, and you have a new expectation to make her perfect. Like That doesn't ever stop changing. So, of course, the younger ones, they just slide through the cracks because you're so focused on getting that one that's, you know, like you. So um, the first thing that you need to be aware of, everyone out there is listening, is that this relationship, you're sharing energy with this child. So if they come home and they're having a bad day and it freaks you out, it's a different freak out than anyone else. They have a more influence. Oh, the energy that you feel from them influences you for better or for worse more than the other kids. So that's the first okay. thing you know. Second thing, from two to nine, it's going to be really easy because they're going to be your little soldier and they're going to be your best friend and they're going to be right there by you and you're going to have all these great memories. As soon as they hit preteen, that's when it gets difficult. Because they've been with you and they've seen your highs, your lows, and the ugliest parts of you, when they become a teen, they go, oh, I'm going to help mom be happy by exposing all of her issues to her and other people to help her. Problems is most moms don't usually take it that you're trying to help them. They take it as a very being a very offensive, like they get defensive from it. So be aware that when your teen daughter, preteen or teenage or even adult daughter is giving you criticism in these ways, tell her, thank you for the criticism. I actually need this. You can then tell her it'd be helpful if you kind of said it a little bit a different way, but I know it's coming from a good place because it actually is not coming to shame you. Even if you shamed her your whole entire life, she doesn't want to have a bad relationship with you. She's trying to help you. She just may have learned from you the bad ways to do it, like not the best ways to communicate it, especially if you're a mom listening to this and you're from the old school. So if you're 30, 40, 50 or older right now, your mom may have had the biggest heart in the world, but she may not have known how to say, you look beautiful. I love you. You're pretty. Or she may not have modeled for you self-confidence. She may have just preferred you be self-confident. She may have not told you how to be pa- showed you how to be patient. She may have just been angry and said, you need to be patient. So be mindful if you're the daughter, you want to have ex- realistic expectations of your mom when you're listening to this because your mom needs a lot of time to understand that you guys are in this together. You are best friends. And if you're not careful in how you communicate your best of intentions to one another, you could create a lot of animosity and anger in the relationship because you're exposing your best friend. If you told the whole entire world your best friend's greatest secrets, they would now become your greatest enemy and they would hate you even more because you're supposed to be their best friend. So after that, the best thing to do to work on this as the parent or as the daughter is to acknowledge your flaws as being your flaws and that you don't want to put it on the other person. So if you're a daughter and you make a mistake, instead of saying, mom, you know, I'm just like you and so I have these issues, say, mom, you know, I'm like you in a lot of ways. It gave me a lot of strengths and the issues that I have. We may have things in common, like let's say we're both anxious and we both get really irrational. I'm just glad that I have you in my life so we can work through this together. You have to frame it in a way that it is, the partnership is the solution. The not holding yourself accountable. The being on the same page. Being on the, the same relating, page. The relating. That's empathy. the solution to breaking the cycle. If you as a daughter put it all on your mom saying you have these issues, which is why I'm struggling, then you're creating disconnection and it makes sure the cycle is going to be passed on to your daughter. So the way you break that cycle is you have to take accountability. You have to empathize. You have to have compassion. You have to relate and you have to have fine soft words to say, 
I don't mean to shame you or make you feel bad. I'm just sharing the things that I'm insecure about. Because how many times does a daughter share insecurities and then the mom takes it personal that she's taking a shot at her when the daughter didn't even say it was her fault, but the mom's already blaming herself. Yeah, because you, you're, already, you're already there. You're your already head. there in your head yeah. anyways. This is a lot to take in. This was the most requested topic for me to write a book on throughout all the years of my counseling. Um, so hopefully this podcast will be a start of that conversation. And, you know, like we talked about in the very beginning, our goal and our intent for having these live workshops is that we can expound more upon this information. There's no way I could share everything I know about this in one podcast. I couldn't even share it in, I mean, in months. Right. I mean, I'm talking about, I've talked about this for years with some families and they're always seeing different layers of it, seeing how it shows up from teenage years to adult years yeah. to, okay, now I'm the teenager and then I, then I go and counsel teenagers that now are adults that have their own kids. Oh my gosh, it changes. It shows itself in different ways at different stages in life. And so I think one of the, one of the best things to do now, after you've listened to this is kind of take it on board and, and ponder like, Think about it. Be a, be a spectator a little bit in your relationships, in your, maybe your siblings' relationships, and in the relationships that you see around you, and just kind of evaluate. See if you can be perceptive. Because you, like David was saying, you kind of start picking up on things that it's like, oh. Watch I, other mom, oldest daughter relationships, or you if you're a dad listener, watch other father, oldest son relationships. And connect the dots. You have to do your own research on it. And a little helpful tool, if you have a young daughter, if you have older daughters, teenage daughters, journal and video journal. Oh boy, there it to was. To them. There it was, the journaling. The journal, journal and video journal to them. I think I mentioned it before. I got a journal for my wife. First Christmas of my daughter. She wasn't even, she wasn't even a year old yet. I wrote 15 pages describing the mother-oldest-daughter relationship. And then I said, sweetheart, I mean, I cried through this whole entire writing. It was one of the most like deep things I've ever written because I'm sharing with my daughter what I know. I'm like, what if something happened to me and I died and my daughter didn't even know about something that I could have just explained to her in one journal entry? I wrote 15 pages and I said, this is your mom's journal to write to you, so I'm going to sign off now. Goodbye. And my wife has been writing that. She talks to my daughter in the journal. Um, people that video journal, they talk the same thing. So, you know, I'm, I did this so much today. I was a stressful day, but I got to come home and say hi to you. Man, if you're a teenager or an adult and you get to see those, whether your parents alive or dead, I don't know if I could find words to really express what people have told me what that's done for them in times where they didn't feel like their parent actually loved them or have a connection with them. Like if you could go back in time, Heidi, and your mom in that email, was it an email? If in that email she wrote that when she'd had those feelings when you were a little girl, it would take your yeah, it would be even would. more powerful than it was listening to the email years later. And I and I wanna just add, you know, here we are talking just about the oldest daughter and the oldest relationship. If you can master this oldest sibling relationship and figure that out, figure out how to be vulnerable and make a connection, then you are that much more equipped to have powerful relationships with your kids that aren't the oldest ones. It's, yeah. it's, um, and they're watching the other ahead. kids are watching that right. relationship between you and your daughter, you and your oldest son. They're watching to see how you handle that. Cause then they're like, okay, I see what's in store for me. Yeah. So, 
Well, I appreciate you going into all that detail. And um, like I said, I know that, that was those a are lot the topics that are a lot deeper. And so I kind of wait for the right moments of those because, um, you know, you're going to have to be a loyal fan and really be interested in this topic <laughs> to listen to the whole entire thing. But I'm kind of guessing it might have sparked some curiosity from so. some of you. <laughs> All right. So well, again, tell them we want them to weigh in on our live workshop. And also, um, if they have any questions or want to share some wins, how do they do that, Heidi? Okay, so you can follow us on Instagram at Light the Fight. And that's a great place to send us a DM. Makes it really easy. Facebook too. And on Facebook, yep. You can also email us right from Elevate Podcasting, which is just elevatepodcasting.com. There's uh, email links there. Or if you can remember in your memory bank, lightthefightpodcast at gmail.com. So those are the quick, easy ways to reach us. Um, and we love hearing from you. And like I said, we would really appreciate just your insight and your thoughts like, gosh, this is what I would really love to be able to pick your brains on. Or this is something that would be that I think would be really cool if I had the opportunity. Um, we'd love to know that so that we can really come up with a plan for this um, event to really make it something special, unique, and really meeting the needs of us out here as we're evolving. And for all those fellows, you can make some light boxes from Heidi Swap's signature light box. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what did you say? You have David Bombs. Don't worry. We'll have plenty of arts and crafts. <laughs> we'll, we'll craft. On. We'll craft. Yep. A good fallback. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening as always. And until next time. We out. See you later.